Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green here on AM's 860 The Answer and on the Golf News Network. This is the show where, of course, we talk about golf and the interesting and fascinating people who share the same passion for the game as you and I do. Um, before we introduce today's guest that's revisiting us, and it's a real good thing that she is. Uh, this segment is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and Gunter Wilhelm Knives. Unmatched quality, comfort, and efficiency for enhanced productivity in the kitchen. The online, you can find them out at Gunter, that's G-U-N-T-E-R, Wilhelm.com. Okay, uh, we've got Shawnee Harrell with us today. Shawnee has been with us before and it was such an enjoyable interview for me. Johnny holds a master's degree in coaching studies and is a two-time Olympian as a former assistant coach for the women's basketball team. And she's got many years experience in, in coaching and that, but the, she's kind of switched and got into the golf thing. Um, she's coaching and her coaching is basically on mental toughness and preparedness that way with your brain. And, um, it's just great. We're going to talk about an article that uh, Beth Ann Nickel just did about her in Golf Week, and uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But I want to welcome her, Shawnee. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. When uh, we last talked, uh, we got way out, and and I won't say in the weeds because it wasn't. Uh, we talked about mental preparedness and, you know, competitive golf versus your average weekend golfer. But one thing that I read on your website in this article, and I thought it was really fascinating to me. So I want to start with that, but I want to ask you a question first. What do you fear as a coach? Gee whiz, that's uh, what a, what a way to start. <laughs> you know, that nobody has ever asked me that before. Oh, well, there you go. Nobody. And I'll tell you what my, my blink instinct on that was. Sure. My fear, my fear as a coach is I'm going to fall back on my most deeply held habits, which is to direct, control, and boss people around. Well. That's my deepest fear. And that's why I have to always be conscious when I'm coaching and I need to pay attention to my most deeply held habits because when we truly, I believe are the most effective at being a coach, we are guiding and co-navigating rather than 
directing and controlling and manipulating behavior. I think that's a fascinating take because I can tell you that um, I taught a lot of people how to ride horses and show horses and stuff. And I think I would have been a better teacher, a better coach. Once they got to a certain level, it was pretty easy. But the the real people that were starting and you see they had some talent and stuff. And so they were progressing. Okay. I was probably a little harder on those kids than I needed to be um, because I just was. And that really wasn't my personality, but that's the way I was trained uh, when I came up. And so do you think that that, how we, when you say, you know, guard against your most deeply held habits, most deeply held habits. Thank you. Do you think that that is, is something that all coaches should, should really do? Um, and, and really kind of, you know, before they walk on to that tee box or the track man or whatever they're doing with a certain player that they should kind of reset their mind to that. I think it's good practice for all of us uh, to tell you the truth, but, you know, speaking of coaching in general, I, you know, my, my opinion and remember whenever someone gives your, gives an opinion, it means it's true for them. <laughs> yeah. It may not. You know, it may not mean it's true for others, but what is what I find true for me, you know, I've been in this high performance coaching for, you know, almost 35 years now. And when I look at the coaching culture, I believe the coaching culture is behind, uh, say, the education culture. Mm-hmm. I think that if you were going, if you went into a, you know, an elementary school classroom, and you see how we are actually teaching. So my point is, what what is an ideal learning environment? I'm not sure that coaching has taught us that very well. And in general, I find coaches are very good at uh, two of the four pillars of high performance. So those pillars are the technical, tactical is one, the physical pillar is one, the social-emotional pillar is one, and the mental pillar is one. I think that as coaches, we get trained very well in the technical-tactical pillar, right, which is error detection and correction and all of the skills and all of the strategies that go into uh, performance for athletes. And then I think we get pretty good in the physical pillar, right, our strength, our fitness, our flexibility, our agility, our aerobic capacity, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think those other two pillars really get left behind, which is the social, emotional, and the mental pillar. And when I look back at the 35 years that I've been coaching, I fell right into that. I, I didn't spend any time as a coach in those other two pillars, but wow, was I rocking it in the technical, tactical pillar. Sure. But what happens is we, 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 keep, using, uh, we keep using the tool that works for us. And when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I know for sure that was what I did a lot of. Everything looked like a nail to me. I had a really darn good hammer. So (laughs) I'm just trying to catch myself in those old habits. And it's also what fascinates me now to go and spend more time in this mental toughness pillar. You know, and I'm just starting to see the importance of it and how little time I spent 
you know, when I was learning to be a coach, I didn't spend any time there. And I'm just trying to pay attention to my deeply held habits so that I can start working and work away from those because I don't think they, they served me well at times, but at other times they didn't serve me well and I still use them. So I'm trying to pay attention to that and be more of a guide, um, a, a wing person, so to speak, a wingman, a wing woman, um, and to come alongside on the journey. Uh, another way of saying it would be, I'm, I think most coaches are very, very good at leading from the front. And I'm practicing leading from from beside and leading from behind. When you take on a new uh, client, okay, and somebody comes to you, and, and it's, let's say it's an LPGA player, and they come to you, do you make certain assumptions? They're playing at this elite level already, so their their skills. We don't really have to look at those skills. Um, and I know you're not really a swing coach per se, I'm sure that comes into the conversation, but do you make assumptions and, and not just you, but do any coach, they make assumptions that you're, uh, you're playing at the PGA tour, or the LPGA tour level or the corn Ferry tour, or whatever it is. And so, and is, if they do make those assumptions, could it be an omission error on their part by not going back and looking and saying, okay, what are you thinking when you do this, whatever this is X, and maybe there's something that binds together with your mental toughness uh, coaching and that. And then, you know, maybe they maybe they always uh, on 150 yards in with a nine iron or whatever, they, you know, they always slice it or something. I'm just giving you a, a really made up example here. But my point is, is when we make those assumptions, can it sometimes not be correct assumptions? Well, I think you hit on. Uh, a really fascinating point. Uh, you know, by the time these athletes are on the LPGA, the Corn Ferry Tour, whatever it is, talent has leveled out, right? The funnel gets narrower, it doesn't get wider. And when it gets narrow, it means not everybody can fit through the funnel. So all of these LPGA golfers have fit through the funnel. And what I find fascinating about the mental side of it is if everybody is good technically and tactically, What's the deciding factor between who wins and who finishes last? Speaking of pressure, I've got to take a break here, but we're going to be back uh, with Shawnee Harrell. I, I just always love talking to her, but we're going to be back here on Grilling at the Green in just a moment. Please stay with us. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, The Answer and the Golf News Network. want to thank the folks at Langdon Farms. The restaurant is open. you got to do a little social distancing and all that stuff, but it is open Friday nights. You know, the prime rib stuff is there, so it's all good. So check them out down there at Langdon Farms right off of I-5. And also, if you'd like to email us, very simple, info at grillingatthegreen.net. That's info at grillingatthegreen.net. I know that's kind of a long handle, but... You know, we live with it. Also, we're on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff and 14 or 15 social media platforms that you can hear the podcast version of the show after it's aired on the radio. So it's all good. 
Uh, <clears throat> we're talking with Shawnee Harley, and uh, I mispronounced her name, and, and uh, I apologize for that. She said it's not a big deal, but for me, it kind of is because this is my job. Um, anyway, uh, mental toughness coach. Shawnee's actually just several hundred miles north of us here in B.C. Uh, we're in Portland, of course. And what I find fascinating about Harley is, I was telling her off the air, is that we can always kind of get into the the minutia of the of the thought process. And believe it or not, being a radio guy, I do like to be cerebral at times. But I did have a comment, though, Harley, to say, you said in the article with Beth Ann that we average about 60,000 thoughts a day. You will not find that in a radio station. I guarantee you that we don't have 60,000 <laughs> thoughts a day. It's much, much less than that. <laughs> so, um, in your experience, I want to get a little practical stuff here going. In your experience, the average golfer, when they step up to hit a ball, maybe it's off the tee or maybe it's in the putting, whatever. I can tell you from my experience, the times that I do keep my focus, I perform fairly well. The times when my mind, you know, wanders and says, oh, don't forget, you got to stop and pick up a jug of iced tea or something on the way home. Then you end up with poor results. Uh, do you find that happens too at the at the elite level where you coach? Yes, but I would say an LPGA golfer on a tee is probably not thinking about what she's going to have for dinner at the end of the round. But what I will say is, I'm I'm trying to help these athletes. And it isn't just golfers. It's all athletes that I work with. Sure. How do you get ready for your event? Let's say you're, you're going up to the first tee, you know, in a, in a big, I mean, we know the LPGA has just started today with the drive on. Think about all of those athletes that haven't, you know, haven't played competitively for however long, and they're mm -hmm. going to step up to the first tee. What I think is very common, what I think is detrimental is, is trying. So trying to dot, 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 or trying not to. So I call this striving or resisting. When I step up to the first tee, I'm trying hard to hit it down the middle of the fairway. That would be striving. Or I'm trying not to uh, slice it into the rough. Right. So you can see those are striving and resisting. Both of those are outcome thoughts. And whenever we are in outcome, when we are competing, what I'm finding is that is the biggest detriment to our swing being able to hold up under pressure because we cannot control outcome. We can't control whether the ball goes to the middle of the fairway or we slice it into the rough because if we could control it, we would hit it down to the fairway, down the middle of the fairway perfectly every single time. So it's not in our control. So how do we get up to the T and focus on one thing that's in our control? One simple example that uh, one of the golfers I'm working with is doing this right now in the drive on that she's doing is, is I'm like, okay, step up to the T, do all your things, figure out which way the wind is blowing, you know, figure out where you want to land your ball, all of the technical thoughts that you need to have, get you over the ball, get your stance, blah, 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 all of the 50 million things that golfers do. And then I'm like, then your next uh, task is to commit 
because commitment is in our control. Even if everything isn't perfect, we can still commit. And one of the things I'm finding when I can get the athletes to do that is it helps them take away the result thoughts, the technical thoughts. And it's like, step up there and swing that friggin' club. <laughs> You've swung it 7,008,004 bazillion times in your life. Your body knows what to do. How do you trust your body? You step up and you commit. Those are the, the process thoughts that I want them to think about. Because I said to them, okay, so when you think about committing to the shot, I want you to think about how nervous that makes you feel. Then I'm going to say, okay, I want you to swing perfectly and land the ball in the middle of the fairway. How does that make you feel? Well, we know that any time I make them focus on a result, I can increase their nervousness and I can increase the feeling of pressure. So we're trying to decrease those feelings by getting the, them to focus on the process. And commitment is one way that I help them do that. So I'm going to give you an example of me, okay? Because that's the only person I can give a mental exam example of, and and it's pretty easy because there's not much to work with there. But um, I find like when I step up to the ball, and like you say, you've swung a golf club a bazillion times, you've done a couple of practice shots, you you know, you've brushed the grass, whatever you're doing in that practice swing. For me, I just I actually, I do better when my mind kind of goes blank and, and I take the mental part out of it and I just step up and hit the ball. And sometimes that even works for me better when I don't even take practice swings because, and I know you're not supposed to do that, but I'm just talking about me as a person. I, you know, I'll just walk up and hit the ball and I'll hit it well because every, my, my mind's empty and I've been accused of that many times in my life. But, uh, you know, you're, there's no thoughts, there's no clutter. It's just kind of empty and clear and you just step up and swat the ball and it, it goes where it goes. And, and I find that pretty easy. We've got about uh, 30 seconds here, 45 seconds, uh, Shawnee. So, but I'll let you respond to that before we go to break. Well, I'll give you a, a great quote. I forget where I heard it, but I loved it. Focus is lack of thought. Well, I say that again. Yeah. Focus is lack of thought. And that's what you did. It's easier for us as recreational golfers because risk reward is so small, much harder for these people that every time they hit a shot, it affects their income. Sure. Sure. We're going to take another break here on grilling at the green. We're going to be back with Shawnee Harley. I said her name right then. Yay. Jeff. And, uh, but we're going to come back uh, right after these messages. Please stay with us. Hey, it's JT. And this part of grilling at the green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan golf. Check them out online at benhogangolf.com. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I want to thank you for being with us today. I'm JT, your host, and we've got Shawnee Harley with us from British Columbia. Um, we'll tell you how to get a hold of her and get her website and stuff coming up a little, little bit later in the segment. But really fascinating stuff about controlling your noggin and your thoughts and being 
um, settled with yourself, so to speak. But first of all, I want to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and Ben Hogan Golf, tour quality clubs at factory direct prices. That's BenHoganGolf.com. Um, you can find us also on Golf News Network out there with this show and some other stuff we're doing. And if you want to email us, it's info at grillingatthegreen.net. Okay, so um, we were talking at the break about Shawnee said, and I thought this is so true. She goes, isn't it hilarious when you see somebody take a practice swing and then they step up to hit the ball and it doesn't look anything like it. And it's like, that's true. That's very true for, you know, 24,579,333 golfers out there. <laughs> it's very, very true. Um, when you're dealing with mental toughness, and and I keep going back to that a little bit because if if you got control over your noggin, then you've probably got control over a lot of good things in your life. What do you do when somebody's just a train wreck, a mess? You know, they've got those neurons are flying everywhere. How do you deal with that? It's the I call that um, managing the storm, and I really believe that. You know, mental toughness is a skill, yeah. you know, just like cutting is a skill, just like a bunker shot, just like a tee shot. Therefore, the more you practice, the better you can get. Usually if someone is a train wreck, they're still at the beginning of the mental toughness journey. And I tell them that train wrecks are completely normal. We've, we've all, anybody that's golf, I think it's the hardest game in the world. So anybody that's golfed has been a train wreck. They know exactly what that feels like when everything blows up and goes south. So I, I don't think anybody needs to be afraid of being a train wreck. It just means that their mental toughness skills aren't up to where they need to be. I will say that some of these elite golfers that I'm working with, I tell them, and, and I, do, I don't use the term train wreck, I use the word storm. I tell them, what is your storm plan? Because you don't prepare for the storm in the storm. That's too late. You have to prepare for the storm before the storm. And over 18 holes, you know, in a four to five hour round, if you don't think there's going to be a storm, even <laughs> at the highest levels, yeah, the storm is coming. And I just tell them, put your life jacket on and start swimming. And I teach them what that means. But to me, a life jacket means I've got these mental toughness tools here now I have to put them on and I have to start using them. And mental toughness is not about avoiding the storm. It's about managing it. It's coming. How do you manage the storm? How do you put on your life jacket and start swimming rather than, you know, wrapping your club around a tree because you're so mad and compounding errors? That's what often happens in a storm. You compound your errors. So storms are normal. Train wrecks are normal. And as we get better at mental toughness, the storms become fewer and smaller. They never go away. They just become more manageable. I think that's a, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a good title for a book for you. The storm is coming. I really do. I mean, uh, he did preface a book like that. You'd get my attention. Uh, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, a little bit about Shawnee. How's your golf game? You know what's really cool about it is I'm I'm decent. Like 
on good days, I'm a 12, probably handicapped. Sure. On bad days, I'm probably a 13. So I'm decent. But what I love is I get to practice all of these mental toughness skills. I find that far more fascinating than what my score is at the end of the day. And I'm working on um, all of these tools that I'm teaching the athletes. I want to practice them myself. And my gosh, you want to talk about, you say, you know, you never have 60,000 thoughts in a day. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I have 60,000 shots in one shot and I haven't even swung yet. <laughs> so I, I'm just finding that I'm having to learn how to be the boss of my thoughts and manage my thoughts. And you had talked about your best when you have no thought. I am sometimes best, I think I mentioned this last time on the show, but where I sing. Now, I don't sing out loud. That would be scary. But in my mind, I have to, I have, to have something to distract me from having a technical thought. So every time I have a technical thought, I never hit a good shot, whether it's a putt, a chip, or off the tee. So I'm practicing um, being the boss of my thoughts by distracting myself to a song because song for me is about rhythm, yep. rhythm and flow. And we know that that is a golf swing, tempo and rhythm and timing and flow. When we have that, our body just has that beautiful flow through the ball. And gosh, I, I really struggle with finding that because I have 60,000 thoughts feeling <laughs> like they're all going on at the same time. <laughs> Well, if you ever saw my golf swing, you would think it was a break dancer on meth or something. You know, it's just really erratic, but uh, but it works sometimes. One thing that I've done is, uh, and you alluded to it here just, you know, a few seconds ago, I, I kind of stopped keeping score. I go out and just, now mm. when I play in certain things, yes, we keep score. Okay, don't get me wrong, but... When I'm out there just with one of my buddies that I play golf with a lot, I really don't keep score. I'm not that overly ensconced in having a handicap because um, my handicap has been as low as like 14, 13, 14 in my life. It's been as high as like 26 because uh, I had some injuries, but we overcame those. That's fine. And uh, I just like to go out and play and do the mindless play as I call it and, and be happy with it at the end of the day. You know um, I'm still competitive enough in everything that I do that, you know, I, I, I would, I don't want to go out there and make a total idiot out of myself, but if I'm kind of happy <clears throat> and not like you said, wrap a club around a tree. I don't think I've ever done that. I threw a couple in my life, but I never wrapped one around a tree, but you know what I mean? I just go out there and if I'm that I'm good with it, I'm good with the game. I'm good with my performance on that. Now, a lot of people won't do that because a lot of people go, well, why do you pay the money and go out and play and not keep score and all that? Yeah, I, I understand that. But for me personally, it's just more about going out, um, making, you know, a dozen good shots in a round that I'm happy with that are, I mean, that are real good. And then, <clears throat> you know, I'm not going to be at the, um, top amateur player cause you know, I don't have enough time to practice and I'm not, the, I, my skill level probably doesn't go to that 
that height anyway. But my point is, if I'm happy with it, I think I'm okay. I think you've hit on, you know, we, we have to get clarity, particularly as recreational golfers. What's our why? And why are we coming out here to pay the money, you know, to spend four to five hours in a round? Why are we doing it in the first place? And if it's to focus on our, our handicap and to drop our handicap, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is also nothing wrong with my why is this is how I stay active. This is what I love to do. This is a form of self-expression. This is how I love to challenge myself. Um, when we get clarity on our why, it helps us keep coming back. Because a lot of new golfers, beginning golfers, they won't keep coming back if they keep focusing on the score. Because we know golf takes so long. You know, think about how long it takes to break 100. Then how long does it take to break 90? Right. And my gosh, to break 80, you're, you've got to be doing this for years and years. And I think clarity on our why is, is really helpful to keep us playing. And what I'm doing right now for clarity on my why is I still keep score because I want to have, I want to have a number at the end that's going to put pressure on me. But now I'm doing this. How would I swing, putt, chip? Right. This is my question when I get ready in the ball. How would I swing right now if I wasn't concerned about the outcome? Absolutely. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and wrap up the show uh, with Shawnee Harley right after this on Grilling at the Green. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. Today we're talking with Shawnee Harley. Uh, what Shawnee doesn't know because she can't hear it at this stage of the process is I played a little Gordon Lightfoot, our Canadian friend of the North there. So she may not like Gordon Lightfoot music, but I'm just trying to tie in Canada somehow because I love Canada. All right, let's get back and talk some more with Shawnee Harley. I want to get this out there first. How can people find you? My website is my first and last name, ShawneeHarley.com. That's probably the easiest way. I'm, I'm also on uh, Facebook, Shawnee Harley winning matters and i'm also on twitter and instagram okay all right that's fair that's good um so it's been about a year since we talked i think or are pushing a year now and i don't know if you can remember back to that original broadcast but give me a bit about what you've learned in that last year as far as dealing with golfers and their thought processes what I've learned is that when I, when I guide rather than tell and direct, I learn, I learn how to help them more effectively because they are, by the time they're at this level, they are, my gosh, think about, you want to talk about 60,000 thoughts a day. How many thoughts have they had over a career? How many swings have they done? And I'm really getting better at tapping into the expertise that's already within 
within all of us, if you want to know the truth. Sure. The, the expertise, the the, in, the intuition. There's there's always something there to tap into, and I just think I've I've gotten better at tapping into that. And the way that I do it is, I always say, if if you want good answers, ask good questions. And my ability to ask better questions and deep questions and to get into the root of what's going on has made me uh, more effective. So maybe another way of saying it is that I believe that behavior is a symptom. You can't cure the symptom by addressing the symptom. You have to find the cause. And being able to ask good questions and drill down where we can get into the root of what is going on, that when we can find that route, that's when I really see these golfers. It's like this light bulb comes on and they're like, oh, there's a huge relief. It's like, okay, now I'm finally solving the right problem. Isn't that kind of cool when you see the light bulb come on? Because again, I'm back to my horse days when you would see somebody you were instructing. And finally it clicked is the way I used to say it. You know, the light bulb came on, they had a vision, whatever you want to call it. That is, that's one of the things I think when you are an instructor or a coach or whatever you title, you like to hang on yourself. I think when you actually see that, I think that kind of validates your feelings towards your profession. Um, that's just my thought on it, but you know, when those light bulbs would come on and those kids and they finally got to do something um, and it just, you know, kind of became automatic for them and they were, they felt it and they did all that, man, that was a great feeling for me as their coach. You know, when it happens, it, it gives me shivers. It, it makes, it makes me emotional because I can feel my ultimate goal as a mental toughness coach is that we get to the point where you don't really need me. And when this light bulb comes on for these athletes, that for me is the moment that I'm like, okay, now you've learned how to save yourself. And don't you think that's the ultimate empowerment oh, yeah. in an athlete where they don't need a coach to say, do this, do that, do it like this, swing it like this, put your elbow here, don't put your elbow there, point, you know, square to the side, blah, 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 blah. Finally, they can be like, you know what? I know how to save myself. I think that is the ultimate. Um, when I look at how do I know if I've been successful, I feel like for me that's the, the best mark is when they don't need me anymore. I can lead from behind. I'm there every now and then because I can just step back and go, yeah, they got this. There's going to be storms. There's going to be highs. There's going to be lows. There's going to be joys. There will be tears and they know what to do with all of that. They know how to save themselves. That to me, oh my gosh, you want to talk about what's my why for doing this is the ability to help these athletes become empowered to say, and, and to say, I got this and they truly know that they got it. That to me is just thrilling. Oh, absolutely. Again, uh, uh, shawneeharleys.com is it. And we'll have a link, of course, in our stuff too. And uh, thank you so much. I always appreciate talking to you. I love talking to you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
We'll be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green. Take care, everybody. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.